I want you to get your Bibles out with me. Let's go to the book of Ephesians, New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, page 1,270 in my Bible. I want us to just begin by reading a verse of scripture together. You've been up and down a lot, so I won't ask you to stand for this, but I want you to just put your eyes on this verse with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10. When you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not there, say oh me. <laughs> All right. It's on the screen. You're there. Here we go. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's ask God's blessing on this word today. Father, Lord, let this dig down into our spirit, man. God, let this word go beyond uh, intellect, beyond uh, just agreeing. God, help us to receive a deposited word from your Holy Spirit today. Beyond my limited ability to communicate it, would you, by your Spirit, speak the engrafted word of God into our hearts and lives today? In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 In the sports world, uh, I think about like moments like Michael Jordan at the buzzer, you know, hitting the three-pointer to win the championship, or, or those moments that... Uh, I, I remember as a kid watching in awe as, as he would go up for a layup and then seemingly in midair change directions and go the other way and, and hit the layup. It was just one of those miracle moments in sports that you go, wow, that, that was poetry in motion. I mean, that was amazing. Or if you're an Olympic uh, fan, you could probably remember uh, the classic story of Carrie Strug who runs down for the vault and, and injures her ankle. And then just grits her teeth, goes back for a second attempt, and hits the perfect vault and lands it on one uninjured foot, sticks the landing, gets the nine point whatever, whatever she needed, wins the gold, and then collapses in pain. How many of you remember that story? It was, it was grace under pressure. It was poetry in motion. I mean, it was just one of those moments that you look at and you go, wow, it's like they were, it's like they were created for this moment. It's like this is their their purpose, you're seeing it. Or, or if it's that Super Bowl moment a few years ago, you know, where the undefeatable New England Patriots are, are back against the ropes and David Tyree jumps up and catches the ball off of his helmet. How many of you remember that moment? I know Tyler remembers that moment because it was the beginning of the end for his undefeatable Patriots that year. It was a, an amazing Moment, And when you see those kind of moments in athletics or in life, it, it's poetry in motion. And we would say, man, that, it's like that's what they were created to do. They're in their element. And, and I think that all of us in some way have asked the question in our own lives of, of what's my moment? What's the moment that I was created for? Where's my sweet spot in life? Maybe you've posed the question this way. What is my purpose in life, or maybe it's even been a, a bigger and, and a broader question, and you've asked it like this: What is the meaning of life? Whether you verbalize it or not, I'm sure we've all been down that road of thought. What is 
the meaning of life. Well, about 18 years ago, Pastor Rick Warren wrote a book titled Purpose Driven Life. How many of you have read that book? Yeah, you're one of the multitudes. In the first five years, that book sold over 30 million copies. It was selling like a million copies a month. Now it's well over 60 million. That, that tells me a few things. One, it says the book was written really well. So if you didn't just raise your hand, you ought to go out and buy it, even though it's 18 years old. But it also communicates something else. The 60 plus million people affirm what I'm saying today, that everyone wants to know the answer to the question, what is the purpose of my life? And I just wonder how many of those millions of people who opened up that book were disappointed when they read the first sentence in the book. The very first sentence of the purpose-driven life, you open it up and it says these four words, it's not about you. That's how the book begins. And I wonder how many people were, were disappointed to discover that. If I can just give you a, a working definition, this isn't a biblical definition. This is just a practical definition of the word purpose. Right here at the beginning of this message, this is it. Purpose is the reason for which something exists or is accomplished. The reason for which something exists or is accomplished. Here's what that means. That means that purpose is a means to an end. I brought a couple illustrations with me. I brought a shovel and a drill bit. Now, both of these tools have a purpose. Would you agree with that? In fact, the purpose is somewhat similar. The purpose for both of these tools is to dig a hole. But how many of you know it would be hard to hang a shelf on the wall with this shovel? And just as equally difficult would be trying to replant a tree with this drill bit. Now, both of them are going to put a hole in something. But if you want a hole in the ground, you want the shovel. If you want to put a hole in a board, you want a drill bit. And so in the same way, purpose reveals an ends, a means to an end. You have a purpose. I have a purpose. It, it depends on what it is. We want to accomplish that defines what our purpose is. You want a hole in the ground or do you want a hole in the wall? Here's the problem with purpose, okay? The problem is we don't want to be the means to an end. We want to be the end. That's, that's the problem with purpose. I mean, if we're honest, there's something in all of us that really wants it to be about us. And so when we ask the question, what's my purpose, we're really asking what, what we want. What do I want? What's the meaning of, what's my meaning in, in life? Having a meaning means you have to become the means to an end. That means if I'm going to fulfill my purpose in life, then I have to devote myself to something that is bigger than myself. i got to be a part of something that is beyond me. The purpose can't be me in and of myself. I must be the means to an end. I'll give you another illustration that we can all grab a hold of with our hearts. Last weekend, Memorial Day weekend, it's a weekend that we set aside as a nation 
to do what? To remember and to honor those that have fallen for the cause of freedom. Our soldiers that, that gave their lives, laid down their life for what? A greater purpose. They weren't motivated to run into enemy fire because they wanted to. They did it because they allowed themselves to become the means to an end. My freedom, your freedom. And because that freedom means something to you and I, we celebrate and we honor them. Because they allowed themselves, and all of our military today, allows themselves to be the means to our end, to our freedom. That's a life full of purpose. But the problem with purpose is that you have to be the means. You have to be the means to the end. And as much as everybody says, I want to know my purpose in life, I want to discover what it is that I'm here to do. The truth is, we have to first be willing to be committed to something that's bigger and greater than our own lives. I want to challenge you today with this message. I want to challenge you to, to push yourself out of the rut of self-centeredness that all of us at times get stuck in. I don't say that in a condemning way. I just say as a reality. Our sinful nature is selfish in nature. And so I want to challenge you today in this message to, to kick out of the rut of self-centeredness because God has a purpose for your life. Man, I know it's early, but that should have at least got one amen. <laughs> Maybe you didn't say amen because you all know it. Let me explain what an amen is. <laughs> See, when I'm talking, there are people that are listening, and they're wondering, is that true? And so when you say amen, they look over there and they go, man, they got more gray hair than he does. Some of you. They go, if they think it's true, maybe it is true. Well, they look over there and go, man, look at that young person. And they're in a totally different place in life than me. But they, they said it. They think it's true. If they think it's true, maybe it is true. How many of you know that the amens are important? You know what amen means? It means I agree. I thought you would. Amen. Now we're stuck. You can say something besides amen. I'll accept that too. But you're like, I, I, amen. Amen. Listen, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And here it is. If you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. You were saved for service. You were saved for service. In fact, here's the heartbeat of this message as I was praying for you the last few weeks, finishing up our wisdom series and thinking towards the first Sunday in June. I want you to make this a summer of service. Now, some of you are going, are you kidding? I just got out of school. Like, I, I want a break. Now, I'm not saying don't take a break. I'm not saying don't enjoy your vacation. I'm not saying don't rest. You need that. You need rest. You need to relax. You need to go on vacation. We, can I get an amen right there? Amen. Okay. We, we're all on the same page there. Like, hallelujah, amen. We need a vacation. We need a break. But what I'm saying is don't settle for that lie of the enemy. Don't settle for a place of just pursuing the good life. Because can I tell you something? The good life isn't good enough. 
to just settle for a place of satisfaction and say, you know what, if I can just make a little extra money, if I can get a little overtime, set a little cash aside, then we're going to enjoy life. Then we're going to get to that place. We'll kick our shoes off. We'll put our feet in the sand. Then we'll go to the mountains. Then we'll get on that cruise. Then I'll be living. Listen, the good life is just not good enough for you to give your life to it. We live in a culture that lives and dies for the weekend. We even name our restaurants after it. TJIF. Thank God it's Friday. <laughs> Since when did our life's ambition become a weekend? The good life is not worth giving your life to. You were saved for service. And so my challenge to you today is that you would push back from that place of self-centeredness and you would lean into the reality that God has a higher calling on your life. That this would become a summer of service for you. Because the good life isn't going to satisfy. If you think it will, just ask Solomon. You know, we just finished the series on wisdom and God wants to give us wisdom through his word. And some of the ways he does it is through the the counsel of men and women in the Bible. Solomon, the, the wealthiest and the wisest man to ever live, gave us godly counsel about what to pursue in life. L listen to these words in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. He said, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor, and this was the reward for all of my toil, all the stuff that he had. He said, this is what I accrued, all the wealth, all the toys, all the pleasures. But then in the next verse, he says, yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. That's the wisest and wealthiest man Whoever walked the face of the earth who says, you know what? I gave myself every pleasure that the world could offer. In the end, I discovered it was a, a chasing of the wind. So the reality is this. You can have a lot to live on and still not have anything to live for. But it's when you discover your purpose and you begin to walk in it. It's like, it's like poetry in motion. In fact, I, I don't know if you're still there in Ephesians chapter 2, but I want to read that verse one more time. I want you to see what I'm talking about today. It says in verse 10, Ephesians 2, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know the English word poem is a translation of, of the Greek word handiwork. That means this verse could be read like this. For we are God's poetry. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were created to do good works. So when we do the good works, it's saying we are the poetry of God in motion. That it's that moment in our life where we just have a special grace on our lives. It, when people see it, they go, man, they were born for this. This is their moment. This is 
clutch. This is them being the best version of them that we've ever seen in the moment that they needed to step up and do it. It's poetry in motion, for we are God's poetry. We are God's handiwork. And if you're there in Ephesians 2, I want you to look at the two verses right before it because Paul does something really, really important. And you can't overlook this part of the message today because I don't want you to misinterpret the gospel. Paul makes it very clear in the previous two verses that we are not saved because of our works. We're not saved because of the things that we do for God. And we need to make sure we understand that today. So look at verse 8. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. You see that? It's the gift of God. That's how you're saved. It is the gift of God. Not by works, verse 9 says, so that no one can boast. St. Augustine said it this way. He said, for grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. If you're a note taker, you need to write this down. We are not saved by works. We're saved for works. That's what Paul is communicating. He said, it's not your works. It's by grace that you're saved, lest anyone should boast. And then he said, for we are God's poetry created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has planned in advance for us to do. In Exodus chapter 31, it describes a really unique man. You know, here, here's our tendency. It's mine at least. Maybe it's yours too. When I think about acts of service, when I think about gifts for ministry, we tend to think about the ones that we see given examples of on Sunday. We think about worship. We think about prayer. We think about preaching. Maybe you think about nursery or, or hospitality. But there was a guy in Exodus 31, and the Bible describes, in fact, if you've got your Bible, I want you to look there with me. The Bible describes his life in two verses. And in these two verses, we get five I have statements from God. I want to show you this. Five statements from God that communicate what he has done. And I believe these statements about this man communicate what God wants to do in each of our lives. Maybe you've never even heard of this guy before, but I want to tell you. He has gifts, he has abilities, and like every one of us, he was called to serve God with them. Here's what it says, Exodus chapter 31, beginning in verse 2. See, I have chosen Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. But why did he fill him? Look at verse 4. To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. To cut and set stones. To work in wood. And to engage in all kinds of crafts. Some of y'all didn't know until right then that crafting was of God. Like, hallelujah. <laughs> verse 6. Moreover. I have appointed Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. There's going to be a quiz on these names later. <laughs> to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make, every, 
to make everything I have commanded of you. Now, in these few verses, there are five I have statements that God makes. God is saying, this is what I have done. This is what he did, did for Bezalel. And I want to tell you today, this is what he wants to do. Number one, he said, I have chosen Bezalel. You're chosen by God today. He chose you. The Bible says in John 15, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and produce fruit, fruit that would last. He said, I chose you. Why? Because your life is supposed to produce something. In other words, you're, you're not the product. You're the producer. You're not the purpose. You're the, men, you're the means to the end. I chose you to produce. I chose you. The second thing in verse 3, he said, I have filled him with the Spirit. Can I tell you, God wants to fill you with his Spirit. Amen. He wants his Holy Spirit to be on the inside of you. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power. What is that? That's capability. Enablement. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There's going to be a moment. The Holy Spirit's going to fill you, and all of a sudden, you're going to have a capability that is supernatural to do the things that God has called you to do. He said, I've chosen you, and I've filled you with my spirit. The third thing that it says there is that God has given you ability. He's given you ability. That's what it says. I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. And his unique skill was craftsmanship. He was a builder. He was, he was an artisan. He cut stone. He, he designed works in gold and silver and in bronze. Now, we won't take time to look at it, but the, the chapters right before this is God giving instructions to Moses about how to build all of the elements for worship in the temple, how to build the tabernacle, how to build the, the brazen altar, how to hang the curtains and how long they're supposed to be. And how thick they're supposed to be. And can you just imagine a shepherd getting all this information downloaded? How overwhelming that would be? He's going, what are you talking about? I'm never going to be able to do this. There's no way. I I'm a shepherd. I, I mean, I can't even sew a button. How am I supposed to make all these curtains? How am I supposed to make this gold filigree? And then God says, but I've chosen Bezalel. See, you're not the only one with gifts, Moses. I got a whole family I'm working on here. I got a whole body of believers, and each one of them I've chosen. And I didn't just fill you with my spirit so that you could speak to the people. I filled him with my spirit. I've given him the ability to do certain things well, things you can't do, things you're not called to do. In fact, Moses, don't do it. It's my house, and it's supposed to look good. That's why he has the skill to make it look good. Boy, I could stop and tell a story right now. <laughs> Steve, Steve's shaking his head because he came and rescued me yesterday. I was working on a project at my house, and let's just say it was something I don't have the skill for. <laughs> and he was doing it, and he was making it look easy. And, and I, I forget what I said, but something to the effect of how complicated this was and how easy he was making it look, and he just kind of commented, like, duh, like master craftsman. Like, that's what I do. Day in and day out, this is what I do. Not what I do. Trust me, between the two, give me the shovel. Okay? Don't give me the drill bit. I'll put the hole in the wrong place. Put me on shovel crew. 
And so God gave certain people skills to do certain things well. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Bezalel needed to be good at what he was good at for Moses' sake, for everyone else's sake. And it's the same in the house of God today. There's something that God has enabled you to do. It's a manifestation of the Spirit of God, but it's for the common good. It may be something really practical. You may be able to do something like Bezalel that, that's detail-oriented, that's intricate, working with your hands. But can I also say your greatest work might not be something you do. It might be someone you raise. It might be someone you mentor, someone you disciple. It might be that person that you speak into, that you raise up, that you lead. But you've got a gift, and it's going to be a manifestation of the Spirit of God for the common good. In other words, the whole church is elevated when you tap into service. When you begin to operate in the poetry of God through your life. Here's the fourth thing. And this is good news. Look at verse 6. Moreover, I have, here it is again, I have appointed Aholiab. If you were looking for a name for your son coming up here, and he, just throwing that out there, you might be on the front end of a new trend. I appointed him to help him. Can I say, fourthly, God has assigned other people to help you. There's no lone rangers in the body of Christ. And even the lone ranger had Tonto, so I don't know why we say that. <laughs> God has anointed and appointed people to help you. The Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 12, it gives this beautiful analogy of, of the body of Christ, that we, the church, are like a physical body. It says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of of it. And just a few verses earlier in that same chapter, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In other words, every part is different. Everyone has a unique role and a unique responsibility. The good news is this, you don't have to go it alone. Because we're all part of the same body. And, and whatever it is that God has given you the capability by His Spirit and chosen you to do, He's also going to call people alongside of you to help you to do it. Here's the, the fifth thing. The fifth thing says, I have. It's the end of verse 6. I have commanded you. I've commanded you. In other words, your purpose my purpose, it comes from God. I have commanded you, he said. Jesus understood this. He, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. There was a moment in his life, believe it or not, that he didn't want to do the will of God in his flesh. Now, his spirit was willing, but his flesh at times was weak. And we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus is nearing his crucifixion, he begins to cry out to God in prayer. And he says, God, if there's any way you can take this cup from me, talking about the suffering and the wrath and the judgment of God that would be poured out upon the sins of the world in his physical body. He said, if there's any way that you can take this cup from me, nevertheless, yet not my will, but yours be done. 
That moment was a moment of surrender. That moment was an understanding that God is the one who has a purpose for our life. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible says God foreknew you. He told Jeremiah, when you were in your mother's womb, I had a purpose and a plan for your life. Your purpose is in God. He said, I have commanded you. Can I just tell you, I, I don't have time to, to give you a lot of the details, but let me just, in case you, you don't know me, let me just tell you why I'm here. I'm here in this moment doing what I'm doing with my life for one reason. Now, maybe that's overstating it, but primarily for one reason. I volunteered. I, I just kept saying yes. And there was a lot of things that attributed to it. I, I thank God that I was raised in a, in a Christian family. In fact, let me pause right here for a commercial break. Speaking of my Christian family, my parents are going to be here next Sunday morning. And my dad's going to be preaching next Sunday. I'm so excited about that. Yeah. I'm telling you, you if you've never heard my dad preach before, you need to come next Sunday. You're, you're going to be blessed. I'm, I'm just telling you, you're going to be blessed. When I grow up, I want to be just like you. <laughs> you're going to be blessed. But I'm here because though I was raised in a Christian home, there were moments in my life where there were things that needed to be done, and somebody needed to do it, and I volunteered. You know, I, I never took a music class, except elementary school when they make you go to music, you know. But once you had the opportunity to sign up and do it, never did that. Never joined the choir. Never did any of that stuff. But when I was like 14 years old, we were watching a video of Ron Canoli. Anybody remember that worship leader? We were watching a DV, or a DVD. Let me, no, I don't want to lie. It was VHS. <laughs> I do have some gray hair. We were watching that old tape. <laughs> and, and he had an incredible band. And in the one song, Ancient of Days, this guy tears into this percussion solo. And uh, we're sitting there watching it with the drummer from our church. And my dad goes, man, I wish we had a percussionist. And uh, the drummer said, man, if we had some congas, I'd teach somebody how to play. And I said, if you'll teach me how to play, I'll play. And my dad said, well, if you'll play, I'll buy them. <laughs> I, don't, I guess the bar was pretty low. <laughs> but I said yes. And within, within a few weeks, I was back there, you know, probably throwing the band off rhythmically, but I was doing it. <laughs> I was playing. In a couple years, I started playing drums for the worship team. I was about 15 years old, and um, one of our volunteers stepped down from doing the toddler's church. And my parents were talking, like, we need somebody to do toddler's ministry. Like, I'll do toddler's. I don't know why they said yes to that one. <laughs> but I can remember sitting in a circle with all the little four- and five-year-olds and all, just a big pile of stuffed animals teaching about Noah's Ark. Asking them what it sounds the animals make. You know, until we got to the turtle, then I was confused. 
I don't know. Let's skip that one. <laughs> Tough theological questions in the toddler's class. What sound does the rabbit make? I don't know. Let's play a different game. But, you know, one thing after another, when I was 18 years old, I was a senior in high school, and um, they needed somebody to fill in one Sunday morning in kids' church. I'd never taught kids' church before. I did toddlers before, but these kids are smarter. I don't even, are you smarter than a fifth grade? Like, I don't know. Like, the verdict was out. So, but I said, you know, I'll try it. I'll give it a shot. And I tried it. And I was so nervous, but I did it, and it worked. A few years later, they needed somebody to help serve in the youth ministry. Yeah, I'll help. I'll do it. Wasn't long after that, somebody said, hey, would you be willing to preach one week? You know what I did? I called my dad. I got one of his sermons. I didn't have to know how to write a sermon. <laughs> Like, I'll preach that one. That was pretty good. I did. I just, I stole the notes. I'm not even going to lie. And let me just say, if you ever get asked to speak, you have permission to steal my notes. You can just, you know, you can just preach one of mine. I did it, though. I just volunteered. Because I kept saying yes, God kept opening doors of opportunity. And, you know, I'm not alone in that. In fact, Isaiah, he's in the same camp. I mean, this guy became a prophet to the nation because he just simply volunteered. I love the way it says it in Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible says in verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord, and he was saying, Who shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Uh, uh here I am. Send me. He just volunteered. He just stepped in and said, God, I'll, I'll speak if you're looking for somebody to speak. Can I tell you today, the only ability that God requires is availability. Amen. Just a willingness to say, God, if you'll choose me, if you'll fill me with your spirit, if you'll send people around to help me, if you'll give me the opportunities, I'll respond to the command. I'll serve. That's God's purpose for you. He's chosen you. He's filled you with his spirit. He's given you the abilities for the purpose that he has. He's appointed other people to help you so that you can fulfill what he's commanded you to do. You were saved for service. And when you discover that and when you begin to walk in that, it's poetry in motion. It's you in the sweet spot. It's you doing what God has called you to do. For we are, we are God's handiwork. You are the expression of his master craftsmanship. Everything that he made, he said it was good. And then finally, on the sixth day, he breathed life into his ultimate creation. And then he rested. Can't top that. There she is. And it was good. You're the poetry of God when you do the works of God for the kingdom of God. Ezekiel, he gives a commentary, it's a sad commentary, on what it looks like when the people of God don't live out the art of service. It says in Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 30, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. This is God speaking. But I found no one. I found no one. And he's not talking about a physical wall. He's talking about a people that would build a wall of faith. 
Because the enemy was trying to come in. He said, I looked for somebody that would stand in the gap. Somebody that would build up the wall of faith. But I couldn't find anyone in that generation. May it never be said of us that, that God can't find somebody in this community to build up the wall of faith. Can I tell you, it's not going to happen. Every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we have men and women that gather in this sanctuary for an hour to do what? To build up the wall, to pray the prayers of intercession. Intercession is just praying on somebody else's behalf. We gathered last Wednesday night with that prayer list that, that we have out at the info center, and we agreed together for people that maybe aren't even praying for themselves. But if God's looking for a man, if God's looking for a woman, we're going to volunteer we're going to say, God, you can use me. You can use me. I'll, I'll serve. And can I just say this about service? Every act of service is a spiritual act. Amen. And I say that because the tendency is for us to kind of look at some acts of service as more important than others. Yeah. Like you start talking about prayer, man, that's the prayer team. or man, That's the altar team. or That's the, the worship team. That really matters. What do you do? Well, I mow the yard. Well, I, I, I do the nursery or, or I fold the announcement inserts. Every act of service, no matter what it is, if it's an act of service to God, it's a spiritual act. The Bible says in Colossians, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Do it as if you're doing it for the Lord, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart because you were created to display the glory of God in its various forms. One of my favorite verses, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. I, I love this verse. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So God's grace is being displayed in various ways and in various forms. How? When we use whatever gift we've been given. And it doesn't say for those of you that have a gift. It says every one of you, each one of you, use the gift you have been given. Can I tell you today, there is no correlation between the size of your gift and the significance of it. We might look at it and go, wow, they've, they've, got, a, they've got a great big gift. No more important. Oh, I, I've just got this small gift. No less important. There's no correlation between the value and the visibility of your gift. Well, boy, everybody sees their gift. They're up front. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows who they are and what they do. Nobody sees what I do. There's no correlation between visibility and value. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. The last thing I want to say to you today is that serving is the greater works. What I mean by that is this. Jesus said, the works that you've seen me do, you'll do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. That's what Jesus said. You're going to do the greater works. But can I tell you, Jesus didn't just do great works. He didn't just do great things that we go, wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's miraculous. The reality is Jesus was also great at doing small things. Like serving children or cooking the breakfast 
or helping lepers. It wasn't just big things that Jesus did well. It was the small things that he did. And if you're going to serve God, you have to serve with the same attitude that Jesus served with. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself of his glory. He became a servant. He didn't, he didn't serve great just because he was God. He served great in the small things. In the small things. There's something that God wants you to do. And it's probably so obvious that we overlook it. You know, people sit around, they just, they're like, oh, I'm just waiting for God to give me a big, what do you want me to do, God? Do you want me to, you want me to cleanse the temple? No, I want you to clean the toilet. Like, like. But I want you to do it with a heart and attitude that serves me. I, I want you to do it in a way that brings glory and honor to me. Listen, extraordinary servants of God don't just do extraordinary things. They do extra of the ordinary things. I'm where I am because I just kept saying yes. And I don't know if you're where you want to be, but getting from where you are to where God wants you to be begins with just saying yes, with understanding that if I'm going to fulfill my purpose, my purpose can't be about me. I have to be a means to an end. That's the meaning. I have to be a means to an end. You know, we've got so many serve teams in this church, and we call them serve teams for a reason. I was just making a list as I was thinking about our greeters, that Pastor Chris leads that team. Our greeters are here early, every service. Some stay for the second service because they want to serve people. They want to welcome people. They want to hold the door open for people. Our hospitality team that, that Laura Splain leads here this morning. She was trying something new. She said, hey, I got, I got some new, got these new coffee filters we're going to try. And then I saw her. I was coming in for service. She said, that didn't work. <laughs> But you know what? She was modeling one of our core values to make it better, to not just make it good. Like she could just do what she always did. She said, hey, I got an idea. Maybe this will work better. Didn't work. Well, that's okay. Try something else. She's leading a team of hospitality. Think about Phil, Abel, who's leading our ushers. Our guys are in place. They're serving us communion. They're receiving our offering today. They're helping you to find a seat this morning. They're keeping order in the house of God. Think about Corey Albert, who's leading our nursery, both our nurseries, organizing those teams so that, so that parents and grandparents can just receive the word of God today and not be distracted by your kids. And let's not lie, so that I can preach the word and me not be distracted by your kids. <laughs> you're serving. And they're not just keeping them out of our way. They're introducing them to the love of Jesus at the earliest level. Think about Pam Mellinger's leading our preschool ministry. Some of them were up here ministering to you this morning. Those kids are learning the most fundamental foundational truths, and now they're learning it in sign language. Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. Think about my wife sitting here on the front row who leads our kids' ministry. We're seeing our boys and girls receive 
Jesus into their hearts and lives, receiving the Spirit of God. Week in and week out, they're getting established in deep roots in the faith. Val McClure is back there with our media team so that we can see the Word of God and we can worship. They give us the words to express our worship to God week in and week out. The excellence that they produce as they broadcast this church. All these teams, and there's so many more. We can just go down the list and think about our worship team, our youth ministry, our, our senior adult connection that Larry and Jolene lead. Think about our, our grounds team that keeps the place looking beautiful. All these places, listen, I'm not trying to give a commercial. I'm just saying, you know, service ought to be your lifestyle. But the church is a great place to start. In all these ways and more are ways that you can say, you know what, I, I, I recognize that I'm a means to an end. And when I do the work that God planned in advance for me to do, I am God's handiwork. I am God's poetry in motion. It's no wonder that Jesus said the most compelling thing about the church to the world will be the way that we love one another, the way that we serve one another. Because when we all start operating like that, people stand in amazement. It's the same way we do when we see an athlete that we would describe as poetry in motion. So I want to pray for you today at the close of this service. And, and here it is. I don't know what your gift is. I don't know what your ability is. I just know you have one. So this is for everybody. Say, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells me that God has given you ability. The Bible tells me that God chose you. He appointed people to help you. He wants to fill you with his spirit. He wants to enable you to serve. He's commanded you to do it, but it starts with your yes. And so I want to pray for you today. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes. Father, thank you so much that in this moment you're speaking by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray, Lord, my prayer has been that this would be a summer of service, that this would be a time that as the people of God, we lean in to the purpose of God. Yes, we're looking forward to downtime. Yes, I'm looking forward to vacation and hanging out with my kids, but God, I'm not banking on that being the satisfaction of my life. I don't want to find myself at the end of all my toiling like Solomon, saying it was meaningless. It was a chasing of the wind. I climbed the ladder as high as I could only to discover that I leaned it against the wrong building. It was empty. Jesus, help us today to see that our purpose is in the foreknowledge of God. That you've equipped us and called us and enabled us to do something for you. And it starts small. It starts simple. It starts with a yes to saying, Jesus... I'll serve because you said the greatest among you is the servant of all. So God, today, speak to the hearts of your people. And may we say yes in some small way this week to service. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to stand with me.